my heart is always, is this on? Can you, you can hear me now? My heart is always so filled with thankfulness to be gathered here uh, with all of you. I am a very happy member of this church, and I love praising Christ together with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And uh, so, JT, thanks for leading us in singing. Jim, thanks for calling us to worship and leading us in prayer. Uh, Rob, you crushed it on announcements. Thank you. And, uh, and now we do turn our attention to the Word of God. We sang earlier, uh, in every line, your truth is found. And every page with glory filled. You know what I thought of when we sang that? I thought of Haggai. Uh, we are in our third week in the book of Haggai, and we conclude this series today. There's two chapters in this book, and I invite you to turn to chapter 2 of the Minor Prophet, Haggai. Uh, this book tells the story of spiritual renewal among the people of God. For over 15 years, the people had drifted. Uh, they looked to their own interests and they neglected the house of the Lord. They did not long for more of God's presence among them during that time. But when the prophet Haggai brought the word of the Lord, it wasn't, as is so often the case with prophets in the Old Testament, that they are opposed, that they are rejected, uh, even put to death. Here, the people of God received the word of God with grateful hearts and beautifully responded to that word. They were stirred up by God in a whole new way, and together they began the work of rebuilding the temple. Today, we as the church of Christ are the temple of God and we are called to play our part in the work of rebuilding. We do this by directing our prayers and our resources and our spiritual gifts to the upbuilding of the church that God has joined us to. So, um, I'm excited to look at this last half of chapter 2 with you. Our sermon title is A Time for Rebuilding. Get ready for blessing. Get ready for blessing. Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. This is God's holy and authoritative word. On the 24th day of the ninth month, it was... December 18, uh, 520 B.C., on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, 
before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. May God bless the preaching of his word. The idea of a groundbreaking ceremony is certainly not a new idea. We don't know exactly where the practice originated of having a groundbreaking ceremony, but there's evidence that these ceremonies were present in all of the ancient civilizations of the world. When a new space is, is consecrated and a cornerstone is laid and there is the celebration of something new. It was during the groundbreaking ceremony for the second temple. Uh, as we saw, that date that was read is December 18th, 520 BC. It was at that occasion, when all the people were gathered together, that Haggai brought a word from the Lord. Verse 18 refers to it as the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. So what we have here is this monumental moment in the history of the people of God. This was uh, the dawning of a new day. It was the great turning point and transition in their lives. And in taking this step, in dedicating themselves to the house of the Lord, they were making a very clear public statement regarding their devotion and their desires. They were saying, our greatest priority is the kingdom of God. The house of the Lord will take priority over our own houses. We long for the presence of God among us once again. We long for the Spirit of God to be poured out upon us. That was the posture of the people. And it was in response to this that God says, I see your devotion. I see your change of heart. I see your obedience. And this will result in extraordinary blessing in your life. Get ready for blessing, says the Lord. When 
priorities are reordered, when we turn from our sin, when we respond to God's word, when we get serious about living for Christ, it is then that God says, I will bless this people. I will bless those who are devoted to me. We've seen throughout this book, God brings, uh, it, there's both challenge and there is encouragement. But we've seen God bring serious challenges through this book. It is a call to each one of us to be awakened, to be stirred, uh, a call to give generously and to serve the church. But God's great desire in that is not simply to challenge us. It's not simply to rob us of comforts and pleasures. He desires us to be blessed beyond what we have dreamed or imagined. This is the heart of your God for you. He is a God who delights to bless. And the reason that he challenges us and calls us to be devoted to his purposes is not that he would take blessing from us that we would otherwise have, but so that we would experience the fullness of blessing that he has for us, the abundance of life that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so he says to his people, the days of hardship and the days of little are behind you. I am moving you into days of blessing. First, he says, consider your lives before this great spiritual renewal. In verses 11 through 14, he tells the people to ask the priests a few questions about defilement. The whole point of those verses is the contagious nature of defilement and sin. Holiness is not contagious. Sin is contagious. And the people were defiled because their priorities were out of order and they had neglected the house of the Lord. The temple of God was in ruins, that, that corpse of an unfinished building was a testimony for those many years to their priorities, their misplaced priorities. And it is that sin of neglecting the house of the Lord that defiled, God says, every area of their lives. It had a negative effect on verse 14, every work of their hands, including their agricultural labors and every area of their lives. God says in verses 15 through 17, and this is similar to what he says in chapter 1, how has that ordering of priorities worked out for you? Verse 15, before, so he's having them recall former days before their change of heart, before this newfound devotion to God and to his purposes. Verse 15, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? And God says in verse 17, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight, mildew, hail, yet you did not turn to me. Who was the hand behind the trials and the difficulties that they experienced? It was the Lord. And what were his purposes? Good purposes of their repentance. Trials are often an invitation to repentance. 
And God, in his great love for us, will at times send difficulty and hardship into our lives so that we might turn to him with even greater devotion. There are Christians today who continue to seek their, to live their lives uh, without the temple of God at the center, which is the church of Christ. And as people place the new temple of God on the periphery of their lives and their passions, it is so often the case that it does not go well. How did you fare, says the Lord. It is often the case that when we see someone who is not flourishing in life, when their life is in disrepair, when they are struggling in many ways, it is often the case that they are on the periphery of the life of the church. That there is only a half-hearted devotion to the things of the Lord. They are in need of spiritual renewal and a reordering of priorities in their hearts and in their schedule. And it's exactly what we can learn from the people of God in Haggai's day and what every one of us needs to be challenged and inspired by in this great spiritual renewal. That was their lives before the great renewal. But God, who is rich in mercy, changes his people. Ch never say that change is not possible in your life. In Christ, you are able to change. And these people who had gone on in a certain lifestyle for 15 years then found themselves in this moment of great transformation. The Spirit of God was moving among them. And it is because our God is rich in mercy that he delights to draw near to us and meet us and change us and bless us. And so he then says, consider my determination to bless you from this day onward. Three times God repeats, consider from this day onward. Verse 15, verse 18, and verse 19. And it's there in verse 19, if you look at that, that God is saying there will be a great harvest. He asks the question, is the seed yet in the barn? In other words, God's saying, I hope all of the seeds were planted because I am about to bless your socks off. I hope you haven't left any seed in the barn because I am postured to bless my people. I am going to bring growth. I am going to bring plenty. From this day on, I will bless you. Those four crops that are mentioned in verse 19 are essential to their economy. And God says, though they have yielded nothing now, there will be a great harvest. And so James Montgomery Boyce says at this point, they had nothing but trouble, frustration, and disappointment when they put their own work first. That's the reality of verses 11 through 17. Trouble, frustration, and disappointment. Do you know that in your life? If so, evaluate your priorities. They had nothing but trouble, frustration, and disappointment when they put their own work first. But they experienced peace, fulfillment, and blessing as soon as they determined to serve God. This is what we long for. Peace and fulfillment 
and blessing. And it comes on that path of serving the Lord. We sometimes hear people say that the blessing of God is in no way conditional or dependent upon our activity and our obedience. That is, in fact, a mistake. Um, There is a sense in which the blessing of God is conditional upon our obedience. And it's, in fact, one of the major lessons that we learn here. Not every blessing of the Lord. Understand this distinction. The fundamental blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, namely the forgiveness of all of our sins, acceptance with a holy God, that comes freely as a gift and is not conditional upon anything that we do. Ephesians 1 speaks of this blessing when it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and then goes on in that great chapter, Ephesians 1, to celebrate our adoption as his children and the redemption we have through the blood of Christ and the forgiveness of our many sins. Hear this loud and clear. Those blessings can be yours in full, and they come to be yours not by your good works, Not by your moral performance, not by anything that you do, but by the finished work of Christ upon the cross. Trusting that Jesus died in your place and rose for your salvation. It comes as a free gift. It's not dependent upon us or our obedience. And if it were dependent upon us, then we certainly could not earn it. We sang earlier, the language was a bit archaic. It was the opening uh, song, our gathering song before the call to worship. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Meaning if you say, I'm going to wait until I'm a better person and try to, to improve my moral situation in my life in order to come to Christ. No, all the fitness he requires is to see your need of him. So when you see your need of Christ, that is all that we bring to the table. We bring our own sin and God meets us with the extravagant grace of his salvation as a free gift. Now at the same time, there is a second sense in which we can speak of experiencing God's blessing and that is to live a life of flourishing. To live a life in which it is clear to everyone that we are experiencing the favor of God, that we are experiencing fruitfulness in life and in our callings. And here we should not hesitate to say that there is a connection between your devotion to God and the blessing that you experience from Him. There is a connection between my obedience and my experience of fellowship with God. Sometimes obedience does bring greater suffering, but even in that experience of suffering with Christ, we are blessed, truly blessed, and we are prospering in it. The failure to prioritize God in your life is the failure to set yourself on the path of personal blessing. Listen, 
God loves to bless a life that is centered upon Christ and his church. He loves to bless that kind of life. And he promises that our acts of obedience and devotion will result in greater blessing from his hand. When we are stirred to action, he is stirred to pour out blessing. Not because we deserve it, but because he is generous. The whole goal of our study of this book of Haggai is that we would be a people stirred. That we might experience spiritual renewal together as the people of God. That we might know in greater measure the blessing of God's power and his presence among us. Friends, isn't this what we long for? Isn't this what we pray for? Isn't this even why we have gathered here today? Not just because this is what we do week after week, but because we seek the face of God. We long for greater blessing, his power, his presence to be among us. We gather to say, come Holy Spirit, come and do a work among us. Come and change us. Stir up your people once again, just as you did in those days of old, to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Do you find, one of my greatest fears is that I would read through Haggai and not find any stirring in my own soul. I want to be numbered among the stirred. I want to be numbered among those who are dreaming big dreams and are cultivating godly ambitions for how I can use my life in service of the God who has saved me. And as we do that, God says, blessing awaits you. In the movie, The Greatest Showman, which is very loosely inspired by the story of P.T. Barnum, uh, Barnum Part of the whole plot of that, that movie is that Barnum is seeking security and prosperity. He's seeking fame and he ends up being brought to nothing. There's this pivotal scene in the whole movie uh, during the song From Now On. And what had happened at that point is a great fire had destroyed uh, his circus building. He is estranged from his family. All of his fellow performers are downcast. And the realization comes that his priorities have not been in order. He has been pursuing the wrong dream. And so there's this song, From Now On, that captures that moment. As he moves in that song from singing about the rubble to singing about his resolve, all of the people are stirred. He sings, From Now On, These Eyes Will Not Be Blinded by the Lights, From now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. It starts tonight. Let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart. From now on, from now on. And if you've seen it, it's the scene where he's running after the train. There is this great sense of resolve. He's going back to his family as all the people sing, and we will come back home, home again. That's that's a perfect picture of the kind of stirring that we need. It is a glorious thing when God stirs someone to reorient priorities and to give fresh resolve. It is a glorious thing when God stirs in the hearts of his people this declaration that from this day on, Christ alone will be my treasure. From this day on, I will be a functioning member of the church. From this day on, I will 
prioritize gathering with the saints. From this day on, I will give my life in service to others. I will not let church be about me and my preferences. From this day on, I will be a unifying presence. I will be a refreshment to others. I will lead my family into commitment to the church. And friends, it is when we resolve and say from this day on I will seek the kingdom of Christ that God makes his resolve as he does in this passage and says from this day on I will bless you. We've seen it all along. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's time for us to consider our ways. It's time to evaluate our priorities. It's time for us to lean into the blessing that God has for us and offer our lives, consecrate our lives in a whole new way as sacrifices, living sacrifices to the Lord. You know, the, the temple that was rebuilt had at its center an altar which is where sacrifices were made. The whole category of Old Testament sacrifices finds fulfillment in two ways in the New Testament and in our lives. One, Christ himself is the once for all sacrifice who died on the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that all who trust in him might be forgiven of their sins and accepted by God as the only way of salvation. Christ is the sacrifice. But then it's not entirely true to say that there is now no sacrifice to offer because the New Testament also speaks of us offering our own lives as a sacrifice to the Lord. We are commanded, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. In Philippians 4.18, it says that our generous financial giving is, quote, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable to God. And in the book of Hebrews, which has a lot to say about sacrifices, it says this in Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So one of the sacrifices you offer is praise, not just singing, but the praise of your heart, your gratitude to him. Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good. So here's the whole of your life. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we are the people of God, the new temple, and as his temple, our sacrifices in the temple of God are what? Our praise, our giving, our sharing, our concern for others, our service. And now that we are at this place in our history together, our life together as a church, now that we have started our own spiritual rebuilding following an extended season of shutdowns and restrictions. Brothers and sisters, I believe that great blessing awaits us as we devote ourselves to the Lord. There's one more thing 
that God says. It's in verses 20 through 23. And here, basically what he's saying is that I will keep my promise to the house of David. Uh, these, this closing paragraph has some mystery about it. We see the earth shakes, kingdoms are overthrown, armies perish. But Zerubbabel is God's chosen servant and, verse 23, his signet ring, which was a piece of metal jewelry containing the seal of the king. So Zerubbabel is a sign and a symbol of the Lord's authority, of the Lord's presence, his signet ring. And so this is a word of promise. It is a word of hope regarding the Davidic line from which a savior would come. And when we come to the New Testament, both Matthew and Luke include Zerubbabel, leader of Judah, in their genealogy of Jesus, because from this man would come the long-awaited savior, Jesus Christ. And so what's the point here? The point is that God will keep his promises. The point is that God will send a savior. God will shake the world. His people will be victorious, their enemies will be judged, and the promised Davidic king will reign forever over all the nations. We have that same hope as we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And consider this, think about this, until Christ returns, he exercises his reign through the church. Through us, the promises to the people of God of old regarding the glory of the temple find their fulfillment in the New Testament church. Meaning God's plan is to work through us. He is blessing the world. He is spreading the gospel. How? Through the church. He is revealing his wisdom. He is doing a work among his people. Where? in the church and through the church. This is what we are called to be as the people of God. <laughs> your service in the church, your giving in the church, your devotion in the church plays a massive role in God's plan for the world. And it is because we know, verses 20 through 23 say it, because we know that earthly kingdoms will one day fall, that our greatest allegiance is to another kingdom. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. And so friends, let's make sure that our labors, that our building efforts, that our earnest prayers, that our greatest energies focus on the right kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. And as our hearts are stirred to consecrate, and to devote ourselves more deeply to the purposes of God, let's together as his people receive his word in faith that from this day on, I will bless you, declares the Lord. Let's get ready for blessing. Amen? Amen.